Since we took a week off, uh, just to recap what we have looked at from Romans 12, there are three things that we have examined from these two little verses. They're, they're very short verses, but there's a lot there. The first Sunday, we looked at what we are to offer. And the answer to that question is we are to offer 100% of ourselves. That's the whole idea behind being a living sacrifice, is to give God every single thing within us, our, our minds, our bodies, the things that we produce in our life. So we're to give ourselves completely to God. The second thing we looked at is what we are to avoid, and the, the answer to that is worldly contamination. The world has a pattern. The world has a way that it teaches is right, and Scripture says that that way leads to death. So we are to avoid worldly contamination. And this morning we're going to look at what do we hope to achieve or what we are supposed to achieve in this life. Uh, before we get there, I was thinking about different illustrations, and because I'm a big kid at heart, I automatically thought of toys. Uh, when I was an older teenager, and my, my brother was probably 12 or 13, they came out with these toys called Transformers that, believe it or not, are still around. But the basic premise behind a Transformer is that they were robots in disguise. So you had a robot, and if you transformed it the right way, they were cars and airplanes and all sorts of stuff. So it went from being one thing to another. But if you go back a few more, a few years before that, when I was about 10 or 11, this thing called a Rubik's Cube came out. And I don't know if you remember those things. I've still got a couple of them. I can still solve it. It takes me a lot longer than it did when I was 11. But basically it's a cube and it's a colors on every side and you mix it all up and then you try to put it back to its original pattern. And in both of those cases, you're seeing a toy, but you're going from one thing to something completely different. I always had to look at the instructions to get those transformers to transform, right? I looked at the picture and I could, couldn't get it back to whatever it was to start with. So I always had to look at the instructions and my brother was just doing them. He could do them right off the top of his head. I don't know if you've ever played with a Rubik's Cube, but they are aggravating. Uh, it's actually a math puzzle. If you learn the right connections of algorithms, you can solve it. And when I was 12, I bought a book that taught me all the algorithms and patterns. And once you memorize those things, you can eventually solve it. And I still can now. It just takes me a long time. And although those are not perfect analogies, what we are trying to accomplish and what we are trying to achieve in our life is going from being our old self, who we were before we met Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross when we confessed that He is Lord, when we confess that we are sinners like our meditation said this morning, when we obey Scripture and we're baptized into Christ's name, it says our sins are forgiven. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we can begin this transformation, becoming the old person that we were and the person that Christ wants us to be. It's a nice fancy word for it. It's called sanctification, but it's a process. It's a journey. We're justified immediately. When we come up out of the waters, we are justified. Our sins are forgiven. But that process of sanctification takes our entire lives. Every single one of us in here this morning are working on it. Every single one of us in here this morning, if we're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the Bible makes it very clear if we're Christians, when we baptize in Christ, His Spirit is in us. We are slowly being made more and more like Christ. So what we're hoping to achieve is this godly transformation that moves us to being Christ-like. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to read these two verses again. And they should be up there on the screen. But Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present yourselves 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And like I just pointed out, and they'll be up there, this passage tells us what we are to offer ourselves, what we are to avoid, worldly contamination, the patterns of this world. And this morning, we're going to look at what we hope to achieve. And the first question we ask, and we've asked in every one of these sermons, is why do we offer ourselves in the first place? What's the big point behind all of this? And Paul says it right there in verse 1. In view of the mercies of God, remembering what God has done for us, remembering that Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, went and died on the cross for me and for you. Keeping that in mind, that is why we offer ourselves everything to God. And the question this morning is what we hope to achieve, and it's this godly transformation. I'm going to read verse 12 again. I mean, verse 2 again says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote these words. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul makes it very clear that this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I should have a picture up there of the stages of a butterfly being transformed. The idea of being uh, starting out as a little caterpillar and going through all these stages and finally emerging in this beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis, the changing of one thing to another. And it's interesting, even though when you look at the caterpillar on the far left and then you look at that butterfly, they look like completely different creatures, don't they? But they're the same thing. They're the same species. It's the same animal, but it has been turned in from one thing to the other. And that's kind of, not exactly, but it's kind of what happens to us when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. We are still human beings. We are still created in the image of God. We are still working through all those things and we struggle. But the end goal is to be something so much better than what we are wherever we are right now. But we will still be the same person. I'll still be Lee when that happens. I've used Psalm 1 as a counter scripture to this message. And I'm going to read Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 again to remind us that there are only two choices. There are only two paths. You'll hear me preach that and teach that a lot because it has just dawned on me as I've gotten older. People say there's so many different ways to do things. There's so many different ways to live your life. There really aren't. That's a lie. You have two choices. You can choose to follow God, actively seeking God's will in your life, actively living according to His will, listening to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do that, and people don't like to hear this, it may sound harsh. If you choose not to do that, then you are following the devil. Whether you consciously believe it, whether you even believe in the devil, if you are refusing to follow God, that is your only option. And the writer of Psalm 1 says, How happy or how blessed is the person who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. That's the patterns of this world that we talked about in that second sermon. 
The people that say the Bible is just a fairy tale. The people that say that God didn't really exist. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. There is no God. Or you should just live to please yourself. That's all of that other stuff that is contrary to God's word. And then verse 2 says, Instead, the one who is blessed, and if you remember the Beatitudes, that means the one who is fortunate, is the one who delights in the Lord's instructions, who reads God's word, not as a piece of literature, not as some way to waste time, but to actually learn from it. There's a famous quote, and I forget who says it now. It's a famous preacher. But it says, the Bible wasn't given to inform us. Now, we can learn things from Scripture. There is information there. He says, the Bible was given to us to transform us. Because when you really believe that that's the Word of God, and you read it understanding that that's the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit helps you understand and helps you read and comprehend, it has to change you if you believe it. You cannot read Paul telling us that we are all sinners. And if you really believe that, and you really believe that that means we are destined to go to hell, that has got to change you. Or else you don't really believe it. And that should change the way we live. That should change the way we live our own personal lives. That should change the way we live our lives in relation to one another. And it should change the way we live our lives in relation to God. This is more than just a book. These are the very words of life. When we understand and when we believe and when the Holy Spirit confronts us as we read these things, it should force us to change. Peter on the day of Pentecost said repent. When he said, what do we need to do? He said repent. And that literally means to change the way you think about things. And when you are confronted with Scripture, if you believe it, I know a lot of people read this book and they don't believe a word of it. But if you really believe that that is God speaking to us, and you read with the understanding that the Holy Spirit will work in you as you read, it has to change you. If it doesn't change you, then you really don't believe it. How many of you have ever read through Scripture and found something and were convicted of it? Either you had never realized that that was wrong, or perhaps you just didn't want to think about it and it kind of slapped you in your face and reminded you, hey, that's wrong. And you felt that twinge. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, this is the way God wants you to live. Paul, in the, his first letter to the church in Corinth, and I'm going to have several verses most of them are going to be up on the screen this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes these things. He says, God has revealed these things, the truth, the way we're supposed to live. He has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Sometimes I think we misunderstand and sometimes I think we forget the power that is within us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God, correct? 
And we believe Peter when Peter says, when you're baptized and your sins are forgiven, that same Holy Spirit, God, lives within us. We believe that, correct? Well, if the Spirit of Almighty God is living within us and He has given us the words of life, Paul says when we read those words of life, having God's Spirit within us, it reveals truth. We learn things about Scripture. That's why Bible study is so important. That is why Sunday school, that is why your personal devotional times are so important because you are in God's Word. You're reading the words of life to hear what God has to say to us. I've never heard God's voice audibly. We see that all throughout Scripture. I've never heard God out loud speak to me and say, Hey, Lee, listen. It'd be kind of interesting if he did. It'd be terrifying if he did. But he speaks to me every time I pick this book up and start to read it. He speaks to me through his word every time the Spirit starts to help me understand something that I've read. Or his Spirit starts to convict me of a thought or something that I've done. Or his Spirit reveals something I need to be doing. Because remember, Scripture says to know the right thing and not do it is just as bad as doing things that you know you're not supposed to. And how else are we supposed to know except through His Spirit and His Word? And Paul says, we have the Spirit of God who knows all things. Is there anything God doesn't understand? Is there anything God doesn't know? And His Spirit lives within us. And we have access to that when we're in His Word, when we're praying, and when we're quiet and listen to Him speak. And it may not be a loud shouting voice, but He speaks in the whispers. He speaks in the stillness. That's the reason the psalmist says, Be still and know and understand that I am God. And in verse 12, Paul reminds us that there are spirits out in this world. A lot of people get kind of squeamish when we start talking about evil spirits and demons and things like that. But I see nothing in Scripture that says that they don't still exist. They existed in the Old Testament. They definitely existed in the New Testament. We see Jesus and His disciples casting them out. And I see nothing in the Bible that says that those evil spirits are not still out there. All you have to do is look at some of the things the world is telling us is okay to understand that there are evil spirits at work in this world. I don't get political. I try to be really careful. But the one issue that just irks me, that angers me, is abortion. When you study that practice and you see what they do, they can call it whatever they want. They can make up all these nice sanitized names. But the things that they do are barbaric. And then to write it off and say that it's a choice or it's women's health. I'm sorry, but that's demonic. To murder children in the womb and then try to sanitize it and say it's not what it is, that's demonic. When you see all the sexual perversion in our world, and I'm not just talking about homosexuality. There's a lot of heterosexual perversion in this world as well. When you see something that God designed is beautiful between a man and a woman, and it is. That may kind of freak some people out too, but it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But when you see the way the world has perverted it and twisted it and distorted it, that's demonic. The fact that we have devalued human life so much when we were created in the image of God, 
It's demonic. Paul reminds us that our enemies, and our lesson this morning in Sunday school was talking about loving our enemies and praying for our enemies. Our enemies are not one another. They're not people. And it's hard sometimes to separate that when we look at people doing things that are just perverted and demonic. And it's hard not to look at them as the enemy, but we have to remember the enemy is Satan and the evil spirits that influence and rule this world. Satan is called the prince of this world for a reason because he he has such influence in it. And these people caught up in all of these things, sometimes, let's just be honest, I'll confess, it's hard not to hate them because they do things that we know are evil and they make excuses or they parade about and celebrate them. But those people... As hard as it is to remember and believe, sometimes they're still created in the image of God, but they are under the influence of the spirits of this age. And it's nothing new. The people of Israel were constantly falling away, being influenced by the spirits of their age, sacrificing their children to false gods, throwing them into furnaces, and committing all sorts of sexual perversion. So there's nothing new under the sun. God says, I have given you my spirit so that you will know the truth and you will know the way to life. And that's the spirit we should be listening to instead of all these things out in the world. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul, once again, Paul talks about this a lot because he was writing to some of these churches and the Christians in these churches had come out of paganism. They had come out of some pretty perverted and nasty stuff. In Philippians chapter 2, he writes this, beginning in verse 12. Dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, he's talking about the gospel, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And then he says, and this is how you do it, by holding firm to the word of life, that I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Paul had invested his life in these churches that he's writing these letters to. And in this section, he's like, don't just do the right things when I show up. And we, I think we can all understand that and relate to that. We were less likely to act up if our parents were around, right? We're less likely to act up if somebody is in authority is around, right? I can remember when Robin and I had first gotten married. We were, we were in church. We weren't necessarily living exactly the way we should have, but we were still in church. And one day the minister came over to visit us out of the blue. Had no clue it was him. I just heard a knock at the door and I opened the door with a cigarette in my hand. And, oh, it's the preacher. Got caught, got busted. And he just kind of laughed it off. I can remember going to my 20-year high school reunion two weeks before I graduated from Bible college. And it was at one of the hotels over in Rocky Mount at the bar and stuff. And I'm walking in and, hey, Lee, how are you doing? What are you doing now? I'm like, I just graduated from, I'm getting ready to graduate from Bible college. I'm an ordained minister. And they start taking their beers and putting them behind their back and their cigarettes. And I'm like, hey, guys, don't do that. Paul's telling these folks at Philippi, don't just act like it when I'm around because I'm an apostle. He's like, live like it when no one's watching. That's what integrity means. 
Integrity means you live what you believe even when nobody's watching. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That passage could be misunderstood. We don't do anything to earn salvation. But I think if I were to ask everyone here, in here, if you've been a believer for a long time, have you had to work some things out, the things you believed? Have you ever had to adjust something that you believed? Or had to look at your life and say, you know what, I've been doing this and calling myself a Christian and maybe I don't need to be doing that again. The Holy Spirit is the one who justifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. But we have to work it out ourselves because every single one of us struggle and deal with other things that your brother or your sister or your neighbor or the preacher doesn't deal with. He says, work it out. Let the Spirit speak to you. Get in God's Word and read it. And sometimes, and I've discovered this in my life personally, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not very fun to let the Spirit transform you. It's not very fun for the Spirit to point out things in your life that you need to let go of. And sometimes it's really, really difficult to let go of them. But it doesn't happen overnight. Paul says the reason you work it out, the reason you get in God's Word and you read and you study, the reason you listen to the Holy Spirit when it's convicting you, so that you may be blameless and pure there in verse 15. Children of God. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, it says when you talk about being a child of something, you display the characteristics of that parent, good or bad. And if we're truly to be called children of God, and that's what it says we are, then we should be demonstrating the attributes and characteristics of our Father who is good and perfect and holy. Now we will not achieve that in this lifetime. That process of sanctification, you just don't get there and say, hey, I've made it, I'm there. It happens when one of two things that happens. You either die and you go to be in the presence of the Lord or he returns. And Paul talks about that too. The dead in Christ shall rise and those of us who are here, we're transformed and we are turned into something different than what we are now. It's still us. If you remember that sermon I did on that. Us 2.0, the perfect version of us. And that's what we're striving for. That's what we're looking for. That's what we are waiting for. But the biggest reason we are to be authentic and have integrity is look what Paul says there in that verse 15. He says, so that we may be faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. When we don't judge one another. Well, we judge people the way we know we're going to be judged. But like our communion meditation said this morning, we don't look down on others. It's not our place to judge someone's heart. But our actions, the things we say, the things we do, when we're out in the world, they should look a whole lot different. They should speak louder than anything we say. There's another famous quote, and I've heard it attributed to a whole lot of different people. Never can find out who really, really said it. But it says, the best sermon you can preach is to live a godly life. There's a song by a guy named Grover Levy. He's a Christian guy. He hasn't put out music in years and years. But he had a song 
says, if you want to lead me to Jesus. It's a really catchy little song. It kind of sounds like the Beatles, if that's your kind of stuff. But the lyrics basically says, if you want to lead me to Jesus, you better find another way. It says, because your life is speaking so loud, I can't hear the words you say. Paul says, when we go out in the world, we should not have to tell people that we are believers. Now, we're supposed to. We're supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to go into the whole world and share the gospel with those we come in contact with. But we should be able to go out into the world and the way we live our lives, especially those who knew us before we became Christians, they should see a change in us, in the things we say, in the things we do. And they should be able to know without us saying a word that something is different. In the process, as they get to know us and the longer they know us, they should see us being more and more like Christ. And then to close, back to that verse 16, and this is how we do it. This is how we achieve the transformation through the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen. You may, be, you may be able to quit smoking or quit drinking or quit doing some of these things, but to be truly transformed, it takes the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and this is how you do it. Using the Spirit, hold firm to the Word of life. That's the Scriptures. That's the Bible. Hold firm to it. Cling to it. Let it be a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. And you hide its words in your heart. Why? So that you may not sin against God. Hold firm. Like John's chainsaw. Don't let it go. Hold on to it. Don't let someone snatch it from you. You hold on to it for dear life. And then, when you live by that word, consistently, and we're going to mess up, we're going to stumble, but God is right there to lift us up, to give us grace when we confess our sins. But if we hold firm to it and we live by it, trusting in Jesus Christ, understanding that we are saved by His grace, then when Christ returns and we're standing there, we know that the labor, the race that we ran was worth it. Know the old song, it will be worth it all what? When we see Jesus. And the best thing about it, and this is how I'll close this morning, the best thing about this living sacrifice is God's already done the hard part for you. God's did most of the work. He's the one that became flesh and lived among us and lived the perfect life and then went to the cross and suffered Agony on behalf of us. He's the one who was buried and rose from the dead. And he's the one who has ascended. And he's the one that promised that if you just trust him and believe him, obey this word, that you can have forgiveness of sins. You can have the Holy Spirit living within you. And he will change you from that old sinful man. Paul says we were dead in sin enemies of God and he will transform us and change us. And when it gets difficult and we struggle and we stumble, he is right there with us. His spirit is there to convict us, to encourage us, to teach us and to guide us. And that promise is for everyone. John three sixteen. I, I quote that one a lot because it's important. It's for everyone. Every single person that has ever been born or whoever will be. This morning, if you need that transformation, if you've never 
put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've never confessed that you're a sinner, lost without Him. You've never confessed that He is your Lord and Savior. We invite you to come forward this morning as we sing our closing decision song, Just As I Am, number 62.